Hey, hello, my lovely podcast friends. How are you doing? How is your life going on? It's the first day of the week. It's the first week of the rest of your life. So let me know how it is going on with you. I look forward to hear back from you. And yes, I do. I mean, it's so lovely to hear with it from you. Uh, what have you done last weekend? Like, give me a message. I look forward to hear what your re- how your weekend was. You can send me a tweet at Lodagov or you can simply go to hofprofit.com, press the contact page and go, go submit your comments or thoughts. Or you could simply leave a comment below on SoundCloud. It's all okay. My weekend was reasonable, uh, made some choices on the issues with the government and the city of Eindhoven, how to proceed, and that will be easy. The, uh, I will not intentionally escalate the conflict, but not also intentionally de-escalate. And the status quo is one that would work pretty well for me, actually, and that would allow the city of Eindhoven to make a lot of mistakes, which they ongoingly are doing. And on that side, simply slowly on... Drain them into the swamp the way like an alligator is looking at his food like a shark grabs a leg and takes you in the water. The way an anaconda is slowly killing its uh, new meal. So having that said then that's just the way I'm gonna look at Um On today's show we're gonna talk about the USA debt ceiling killed by Trump. Trump's beautiful wall and how by Donald Trump is drained into the swamp. The what's needed for B2B e-commerce success and Afghanistan and why it matters. And don't forget, um, I, the profitable Brexit report is out. So in case you want to hear it, you want to look at how those beautiful change and the winter opportunity is there. If you love to make the money and see your money slowly and stably grow or you're there for a quick buck, just have a look. I mean... There are beautiful investments to make in the Brexit and in the United Kingdom due to this. And the report discussed everything, how to protect yourself from the collapse of the pound sterling, why that's likely to happen, what the future of the city of London is, how you could see the world, what's happening and what the great investments are. So let me know, just read it. I sincerely hope that you're going to read it um, because definitely it makes me some bucks, which is a good thing. And I think you agree with me. And the second reason is that it's just a great thing to read and to think about. Well, let's move on to the debt ceiling. And it's killed by Donald J. Trump. Um, Trump is not really known for his stable political agenda. And with stable, I mean he is not acting like a grand old party slash GOP member. He is going his own way. He is doing the ways he likes to do it. And that is how he keeps going on. And that is why, by the way, people voted for him. I mean... You could say that it's good or that it's bad that people voted for him, but they voted for him because if you look at the country that's devastated, uh, since the Second World War, the United States Army lost every war. It is just time that they are recognizing the fact that this is happening. And well, if two parties work there and they are not working, maybe it's time for another thing. It's just another thing. And that's just, it didn't work. The country is bankrupt. And the debt ceiling is a lovely thing, and I think it makes sense that long. But it makes sense for an easy reason. It prohibited that the government borrows too much money. And that means that your, the American kids and grandkids don't have to pay so much money back. And on that side, so it makes sense. But they in- ongoingly increase the debt ceiling. And I would my, my own agenda would be easy. 
don't increase it, start spending less. And to give you an idea, they are changing the way the dollar works. And then I mean, from paper coin they go to, from papers, uh, notes to coins. That saves them some money. And not for half a day government deficit. Well, if you have such a low um, easy to make uh, cost savings, I would do it. But I would simply say, well, it's a half a day. I need 900 of them. And then we can, we, the, the money that we freed up, we are not going to spend. We are going to pay off the debt. Just piece by piece. Small pieces, no big pieces, just small things. But over time, that will grow. And it's just an, an idea outgoing. But Trump decided to increase the debt ceiling. And he did that by making a deal with the Democrats in Parliament. So on that side, he got it really laid out because he is now going it on the parliamentary way he is having a look and going for the way that people don't really like it because in the past the democrats work with the democrats republicans work with the republicans and that's it and trump is working with everyone who he can make a deal go through and he used the hurricanes irma and to say why it's needed but no matter of the fact is that also, after the terrible things that happened, they could simply spend less money. But there's no issue because this means that there is more instability and more risks and you can make more money out of it. That's also interesting because that means that at a sooner or later the dollar will collapse. That's one of the reasons that I called John, the editor of uh, dollarcollapse.com, as a guest. And what we are going to do is talk about how to invest in the collapse of the dollar. but. You could also have a look already and simply go to hofprofit.com slash gold and have a look at that report because if the dollar collapses, if the people lose their confidence in the global reserve currency or when the US dollar loses its status as global reserve currency, then it's over. And don't forget one thing, it will happen slowly on our, is China cutting on the, taking away small pieces of business, just small pieces, not too big for everyone to really worry about it. But a lot of small pieces makes a big piece. Now, having said that, it's time to simply ask you this. What type of guest do you like? I mean, what type of guest should I bring on to the show? Let me know. I look forward to hear back from you. And you can, you know how to reach me, hofprofit.com slash contact or send me a tweet at Lodewijkhof. And don't forget, you can make also make some money on cryptocurrencies, blockchain and Bitcoin. Simply visit hofprofit.com slash crypto profits and take advantage of the extreme crypto profits report. It's there for you to take the profits. So just take them if you love your money or if you love some money for your kids or grandkids. One of the big and major election promises of Trump was a beautiful big wall with the southern border. And sadly enough, the history proves that walls are bloody effective to keep people out and keep people in. Uh, you saw it in Berlin, where the Berlin Wall kept people in within the Soviet Union. You see it in Israel, where they built a wall and no longer are terrorists blowing themselves up, or at least at a lower rate. It is just sadly that in Israel the uh, terrorists are making propaganda on why and how it is great to blow yourself up in a bus. I mean, just go for peace. But 
Trump is slowly building the ball and the way that Trump is making deals it would mean that there is a chance that he will start building the ball. And what Eichel said is so interesting about the wall is that he has an interesting finance model of it. The most likely model is to put solar panels on it. That would mean a sharp increase in silver. It would mean increased safety. It would mean work for the construction sector, which is always handy, some additional work. And if you say that all those illegal aliens should have rights and should get in, then just ask me one easy question. Why should you reward people who violate the law well, there are so many people standing in the queue, waiting in line, going to the bureaucracy, who want to live in the U.S. I mean, the U.S. has a great appearance. It's just, they are looking at, and they want to live there. Everyone want to live there. Even I want to do it. But, you know, the, the quick and efficient route is go to Mexico, go to check a charter flight, have a holiday, miss your charter flight, enter the U.S. illegally, stay there. That's not what you should do. But, you need to have... Go the legal route. I mean, if I would do it, I would spend months, if not years, on the paperwork. And that is no issue. I mean, but so it's just I've always said with all those illegals, this is what they should do and just kick them out. And if it means that things change in the country, then things change. That's how easy it is. But what you need to see what Trump is doing, he is taking in the White House more and more people in. He takes people in who are from the established side. Then he takes people in who are going on and keep going on the ongoing things. So the problems, the people, the problems that are there, that are caused by those people, that is what he is getting in. And I will be clear, his election promise, and that was one of the things that I considered great, was simply that he should go and get the people who ruined the country, the people who caused the mess, and it is a bloody mess, the country is bankrupt literally get them out replace them with other people and give it a go i mean it is not a really sad thing as you think about it what they should do is just do differently i mean i don't think it's a smart they, they do they are doing the same thing ongoingly and the result is higher debt high inflation slowly decline of health slowly slipping down the rates of uh, west school and highly educated countries in the world so, and Maybe it's not, that's not the way forward. Yeah, the, un, obviously, un, unless you want your country to be a poor country, but that's okay. Then that's the way forward. But Trump is getting more and more Republican uh, Party people leaders into the White House stuff. That means that his power on the Republican Party will increase. But it is not what he was elected for. I'm just afraid on what's happening. And I just think that I will grab a guest in about talking about this because it would be interesting to have someone about and just have a look on what's happening. Because, well, what is happening with all the Republicans that he's getting in, and there is no chance that he would get his wall, he would get all the things that people don't like. And you see already that he is uh, going back on his promise to skip climate agreement. And the people who are behind his conservative agenda and messages and who really helped him out on a promotional way are now facing problems. And from there I would simply go to the B2B e-commerce success. I could record a quick and easy commercial, but I don't think you're interested in commercials. You, I mean, e-commerce, if you look, web shops are making money and they are close, forcing shop closing. They are making a lot of things. But what I would simply say is... All those closings, all those things, what they 
what you, what the next revolution is going to be the B2B thing. Let me give you an example. If you're a wholesaler of food, you're selling to restaurants. In the past history, you had to send your sales guy, your account manager was going to a restaurant twice a week, picking up the orders, drinking a lot of coffee, sitting in a car, and making so a lot of appointments. Nice, fun. But on B2B side, you could make uh, this also work. You could, they can simply order what they want online. Just order it and get it out. And that's something that more and more are doing. And you should also do, if you have a website, I mean, to give you some ideas, I mean, what you need to look at, for example, is your design. And with, a, with the design, make sure that it's quickly loaded on every device. Never forget BlackBerry. I mean, I once heard the digital marketing guy from Swiss, the national airliner of Swiss, Switzerland, who said that they sell quite some business class tickets via the BlackBerry platform. It's interesting to see. But just get it quickly loaded. Get people on the, to the, on the platform that they like it. Get it on the way they like it. Could also be Nokia, could be Android, could be Apple. Just get it on. And the interesting thing is that if you get them on, on all those small fields that you slowly on will be unique. I mean, how many apps and opportunities and solutions are there for the BlackBerry model? And for that, yeah, I would simply say go to my webshop. You will find some articles about e-commerce and B2B success. And have a look over there. And then it's time to move on to Afghanistan. And this month, it's 16 years ago that the United States was attacked. And so it's time to look back at it. Just what happened, how happened it, uh, what's happening, what caused it, what are the effects. Because, let's face it, the United States is still in a war in Afghanistan. And I don't see it ending. And I... So I thought it was great to share some knowledge about it, and so I got one of the more inter inter intelligent guests about it. So I had the luck to get Scott Horton, who made some time of his busy agenda and his busy work for quite some institutes that you will hear about later on. And what he basically what he basically did and talked about was Afghanistan. What is it, and what's the future, and how did it happen? And it was just something that I would say. It matters because all those instability, all those war means profits, but you never should forget why and what's behind it. And every war is costing people's life. I mean, it's terrible, but it's a truth. So here's Scott and let me know what you think about the interview. The show. Happy to be here. Thanks yeah. for having me. Uh, for my listeners, could you be so friendly to introduce yourself? Uh, yeah. So I'm the author of a new book called Fool's Errand, Time to End the War in Afghanistan, which uh, you can find out all about at foolserrand.us. Okay. And then I host Anti-War Radio and the Scott Horton Show, uh, basically mm -hmm. anti-war interviews, and that's all at scotthorton.org. And mm -hmm. um, I'm on KPFK in Los Angeles on Sunday mornings. And I'm the opinion editor of antiwar.com. And I am the managing director of the Libertarian Institute with Sheldon Richmond. Okay, so basically you are the guy to talk about war and peace. I try. Okay. Oh, I should have said libertarianinstitute.org for that. Libertarian Institute, always great to have a fellow libertarian and a fellow mindset on the show. Um, having that said, uh, North Korea is launching rocket after rocket and bomb after bomb. Uh, the last bomb that they... I mean, I can't. I could not possibly find the words in English to express how disappointed I am. Okay, and um, then we leave it for here. 
and then if it's okay with you, we move on to your book, so I can easily cut it into two pieces and sure. cut it all into two episodes, and I'm done for two days in a row. Yes, easy weekend. And you wrote a book about Afghanistan. Why did you write? Why did you uh, do it? All right. Well, um, it's kind of a funny story. I, I love funny stories. <laughs> well, it's funny to me. I don't know. Mm -hmm. it, it probably won't get any yucks, but it's kind of ironical anyway, or something. Um, or something. I started to write a book that was supposed to be kind of every man's guide to all of the terror wars. So Iraq, mm -hmm. Afghan or Afghanistan, Pakistan, Yemen, Somalia, Libya, Iraq, Syria, and Islamic State, and, and maybe even Yemen, I mean, uh, uh, Mali and Nigeria, if I could get to them at the end there. Uh, that was the plan. Mm -hmm. And then, so the problem was I'd never written a book before, so I really lost sight of the the size and the scope of what I was looking at. Mm -hmm. And I, and I, I really got, I mean, I, I, uh, I got bogged down in all the details of telling the story basically. And it just got too long. So what's now the first chapter getting into this mess, mm -hmm. it used to include the Iranian revolution, the Iran Iraq war and the first Gulf war as well. That's and that was supposed to be like section one prehistory, Jimmy Carter <laughs> through Bill Clinton. And That's then, a lot. <laughs> yeah, and so already that was like 50,000 words or something. And I was like, well, I, don't, I mean, I guess later I'm going to go back with an axe and just cut it way, way, way down. But for now, I'm going to go ahead and move on to Afghanistan. So then I was like, well, I already know what I want to say about Afghanistan. And I, I've got a pretty brief outline in my head of, of the points I want to make. And I think I can knock this out pretty quick. And then pretty soon I got bogged down. I lost track again, lost sight of how many pages I was writing and how much, what my limits were and, and how this was ever supposed to work. And I guess once I got to about 50 or 60,000 words or something, I just finally admitted to myself that it is going to be a standalone book. And then I'll have to go back to the other project another time, basically. So... I cut the Iranian Revolution, the Iran-Iraq War, and the first Iraq War out of Chapter 1. Mm -hmm. So now it's there's some discussion of Iraq in there, but mostly in how Bill Clinton, George H.W. Bush, and Bill Clinton's Iraq policy provoked bin Laden against the U.S. in that context pretty much only. Um, and then, uh, so that's sort of the setup. And then the rest of it is the resulting terror war. And so... Oh, and then I guess I read, I, I basically wrote a, a rough draft, and then I stopped and read about 15 books, something like that, maybe more, mm -hmm. um, and took a bunch of notes and went and corrected myself where I'd been wrong and added some more detail in some places where I'd forgotten and what have you. And so I don't know. Everybody seems to like it so far. I admit I've never been there. I don't speak the language. I, I'm not mm -hmm. um, you know, a university-educated expert on Central Asia or any kind of thing like that. I'm an anti-war guy. But I have been covering this war from the very beginning, and I hadn't stopped since. And I've done a lot of great interviews with people who are really ex real experts, and all the way through. So I, in the book, I cite, you know, as Patrick Col Coburn told me back in 2008, and then it's the quote about what was about to happen, which of course is what happened, and that kind of thing. So, mm -hmm. um, it's there's original work in it in that sense, you know, from the interviews. Okay. Um, and but mostly it's it's me and uh, 1,300 footnotes for you there. <laughs> okay, and always interesting. Uh, basically, we know what happened. Uh, there was a terrible attack, uh, terror attack on 9-11, and America sent troops to Afghanistan to a country where 
Until that moment, everyone lost basically the war. How is it going to end up? Well, I think at some point, and I hate to say this, but I really think it's going to be 20 years from now, probably. Mm -hmm. But at some point, the Americans are going to give up and leave. And when they do, then everything's going to fall apart and there will be probably a new civil war. I mean, I guess it's possible that um, if the Americans really just pull all the way back to their bases, then things could more or less shake out before we go. But it seems like what's happening now is America has is spending so much money and devoting so much resources to propping up the Afghan state that without us there to prop it up, it could never stand on its own. I mean, the cost of the government there is like half of GDP or something. I mean, it's completely ridiculous. It's amazing. So, so at some point, America's going to go and everything's going to fall apart. And then the question is, that I don't think anybody knows the answer to is will there be a real civil war for control over the capital city and the whole country or will there be more of a secession and negotiated autonomy and that kind of thing? The, the, um, the different ethnic groups and tribal groups are you know to a great degree um, geographically separate from each other so it seems like if they really wanted peace and wanted to make some kind of confederation where Afghanistan is still Afghanistan, but they have really strong federalism. I mean, in the in the true sense of that term, meaning the, the local uh, provinces and, and even smaller divisions have most of the power, then it seems like maybe that could be doable. But, but I mean, the real fact of the matter is we're having this conversation in 2017. The war is already lost. Right. I mean, Bush already lost it. Then Obama came in and said, no way, I'm going to double it and save the thing from defeat and snatch victory from the jaws of defeat. But then, no, he lost too. the war's already been lost twice. The best thing they can do now is simply hold on. But so, the Taliban's back yeah. and they can't undo that. Okay, what you say, after all those are all those people who died and all the money spent on the war, it just lost. Just the Taliban have defeated literally the Soviet Union, the American, and the NATO. Sounds like uh, some damn good fighters, to be honest. If you can. Well, you it. know. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and well, to be very specific, the Taliban, what what we now call the Taliban, some of those individuals mm -hmm. took part in the war against um, the Soviet Union, uh, alongside the Mujahideen, but. They were not the core of the Mujahideen War against the Soviet Union. They actually rose up in the mid-90s mostly, and again, some of them were veterans of the war, but they really rose up in order to marginalize and defeat those Mujahideen warlords who were then fighting a horrible civil war mm -hmm. in, uh, for control over the country. And so the Taliban were the religious leaders who basically stepped in to quell the chaos and, and all that. So anyway. Not to correct you, but just to make sure to... to um, you are the expert, I'm not. I'm just following the Dutch radio news and some podcasts, including yours, but for the rest, that's all well, I... You know, it's all semantics, right? I mean, a lot of these terms get tossed around too easily, but, you know, people like to say, aha, you know, over little details, so... It's just, I mean, it's amazing that if you consider that the Taliban is keeping the NATO busy for a longer time than the complete Second World War took place. It's, right. It's, I mean, what are, are some guys? It, it, it are guys on a beard with a camel and a, and a Kalashnikov. I mean, 
against the army with at least they say rockets to throw to shoot a um, door out of a building without breaking down the building not that i believe that it's possible but i mean you it's know insane. what it is though is we're not fighting against an army mm-hmm. you know we could if if it was the u.s versus the afghan national army well they just bomb them and then go home right but that's not what it is it's a war to pacify the local population but they can't be pacified because they don't want to be pacified mm-hmm. they rather fight and so you know maybe there are some cultures in the world who would say geez i guess as long as the americans are here there's nothing we could do i don't know maybe that's possible somewhere i can't think of one but it sure as hell ain't south and east afghanistan boys and girls they're not going to settle for american occupation that's been shown. I mean, I'm sorry. I hate to sound patronizing like that. Stupid to say it that way. But, but then again, they're sending thousands more troops. They're continuing this war right now. They're escalating the war right. A war they've already lost. Or they've already demonstrated they cannot win. The only thing they could do is round up every fighting-aged male, as they call them, and murder them, like Nazis. Mm-hmm. Or I guess they could call in nuclear strikes and just kill all of the Pashtun regions of Afghanistan. What left to fight? Call that peace. The peace of desolation and genocide. Short of that, what you're talking about is sending Marines out there to get shot for nothing. That's what you're doing. And to shoot people for nothing. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. And, you know, Americans, I'm sure you've seen this in the news, there have been American Green Berets dying in Nangarhar province in East Afghanistan who were three years old at the time of the 9-11 attack and the start of this war. Who were toddlers. So. And you know, the people of Afghanistan, they've never even heard of 9 11. They did a poll about this probably 10 years ago, where mm-hmm. it was like 92% of the population of Afghanistan had never even heard of the 9 11 attack. They had no idea what even the pretext for the invasion of their country was. When in fact, no Afghans had been involved in the 9 11 attack at all, other than the government was host to the Egyptians and Saudis mm-hmm. that organized the attack from their soil. That's it. So. If it's not gonna win, I mean, definitely President Trump, your president. <laughs> Sorry, I can't, I can't resist to say that. Uh, he will not be stupid enough to blow money into the water for nothing. Why did he say? Why did he go for? Sure, it's not his money, so he doesn't care. But why did he go for more troops? Well, he and Obama made the election promise to end the war to get the troops out. Because. The national interest and the interests of the politicians in charge of administering it are separate things. That's why. So the American mm-hmm. people, it's bad for our country. It's bad for the American people. It's bad for the military. It sure as hell is bad for Afghanistan. And yet, it's good for the politicians. And I'll give you an example of why. I'll give you two examples. All right. So Barack Obama in 2009, he's mm-hmm. the brand new freshman president, just come in. He's the first black president and he's got kind of a funny name and he really only won because he's up against John McCain of all people and against the George W. Bush legacy but it was sort of an experimental kind of thing and did I mention he is a Democrat which means Mm -hmm. a weak wimp sissy socialist kind of thing right that's the whole uh, frame of politics of the time so into that he's up against well in order to protect himself from those accusations he put in, he kept George Bush's Secretary of Defense, Rob Gates, and his supposed general, uh, supposedly Rachel Petraeus and McChrystal, and the extremely hawkish competition Democratic primary, Hillary Clinton, to be a state. That way, no one can call him 
a weak, uh, weakling and wimp sissy because he's a demon. All these hostiles take over. You can't not escalate. Now he's an escort. Design accuse him of being arrogant and that's going to steal. And so, Faklenor neutralizes his own administration, who next step neutralizes the Republican Congress, who Lindsey Graham said, as long as you give him at least 30,000 more troops, then we're cool. So he did that. Right? So he neutralized the Republican congressional hawks who were going to criticize him. And at the same time, the liberal Democrat who believed in the didn't care who he killed. They were so in love with Barack Obama that, you know, he could have killed them. They wouldn't have mm-hmm. mocked right? So, so speaking, killed the most played Republican placate the cat and walked The liberals did not abandon him escalating the Afghan war. They were like, whatever, we don't care, we love him anyway. What do you like, Ronnie better? And so they turned out for him anyway and reelected him anyway. Mm-hmm. It was the smart thing to do politically for him to escalate that war. As horrible as it was strategically and and for, you know, in every moral consideration that you could think of, it was all wrong, but it was good for him. Okay? Yeah, Same yeah. thing here with Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. Donald Trump is living in a world where, remember when, when Obama did pull troops out of Iraq, but then what did he mm-hmm. do? He turned right around at the same time and started backing terrorists in Libya and especially in Syria. And that ended up blowing back in the form of the Islamic State, the so-called caliphate that conquered eastern Syria and western Iraq for three years. Mm-hmm. Well, so you and I know, because we were paying attention, and we're not stupid or evil, and so we're going, hey, remember Obama and the CIA backed these jihadis, and that's what led to the rise of the Islamic State in the first place, right? But that's mm-hmm. not what they say in D.C. In Washington, D.C., they say, you know what Obama did was he pulled the troops out of Iraq, and that's what caused the rise of the Islamic State, because after all, if we'd still had 100,000 troops there... Which, not that the American people would tolerate that, and not that the Iraqi people would tolerate that, but it doesn't matter. They're just, they're just daydreaming. They're just saying, yeah, if we had mythically, in some impossible situation, still occupied Iraq, then I guess, yeah, we could have been available to bomb ISIS as they were rolling on Mosul, uh, you know, to conquer Mosul. But still, that's... As Robert Gates would say, looking at war through a soda straw, that's ignoring the fact that the only reason ISIS was, you know, anything but living dead in 2013 and 14 was because Obama had saved them mm-hmm. from virtual annihilation. And at the hands of this, the Iraqi Sunni tribes were the ones who had killed almost all of them off. Um, but then, so now look at Donald Trump. Donald Trump invoked that bogus conventional wisdom in his Afghan escalation speech. He said, look at what happened when Obama left Iraq. ISIS. So now I can never leave Afghanistan. We can never leave Afghanistan because ISIS and Al-Qaeda will come back. And then they'll have somehow magical access from the far side of Earth to Boston Logan Airport. And they'll crash into our towers again. And this kind of thing. And so... That's the safe haven myth now is given all this new juice based on the myth that it was Obama's withdrawal mm-hmm. from Iraq that caused the rise of ISIS rather than his support for the bad guys in Libya and in Syria there. So that's really terrible, just to say, just terrible. It is. You see, um, you know what, in episode two of Star Wars, which I know everybody mm-hmm. says it's the worst one. But that's the one where Anakin Skywalker says to Obi-Wan Kenobi, he says, not another lecture on the economics of politics. Right? Doesn't that sound boring? But that's what this is. This is the economics of politics. Why it's good for Donald Trump to continue a horrible war that's bad for everyone else. I mean, it's good for the generals, Mm -hmm. too, but it's not good for their men. 
right? So, and the same yeah. thing with Obama. This is the economics of politics. Why did these men keep doing the things that are not in the interest of the American people? Because they're in their interest. That's why. To hell with us. Well, that's quite some statement. And definitely, you know more about it than I do. That's why you're on it. <laughs> so, it's pretty depressing, but I have to let you go on that side. Uh, um, I will place a show note in the show notes. You will place a link to your book, so people can get your book. And I'm pretty sure it's on Amazon. Yeah, it sure is. And thanks yeah. very much for that. I appreciate it. Oh, more than welcome. Always great. And uh, thank you very much for your time. Happy to do it. Okay, great. I will uh, bring it into two different uh, segments and put them all out next week. All right, good deal. Well, thanks very much right. again, dude. Thanks. Pleasure on my side. I talk to you later, mate. Okay, Bye. good deal. Have a good one. Bye. Bye. Well, guys, I would say that, that was it for today. Um, I would say it's a really great show it was. I hope you enjoyed it. If not, send me a message. If you enjoyed it, send me a message. I look forward to hearing back from you. And you know how to reach me. And don't forget to miss out all those great opportunities of money savings, e-courses, and great investment reports on hoffprofit.com.